You're listening to Helping Those with DID, a podcast of Lydia Discipleship Ministries. Thank you for your desire to gain more understanding of how to best help those with dissociative issues. You can visit our website at www.lydiadm.org. And now, let's listen in. Well, hi there. Colleen here. We're going to start off today's podcast just a little bit differently than normal. Usually you hear me talking a lot and Lindy doesn't get to say much. So, Lindy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to see how this turns out. Yes, it's kind of an unusual topic. Do you want to say a little bit about our topic? Sure. You had sent me this sentence or this question. Would the real Jesus please stand up? Talking about the idea of a counterfeit Jesus in the life of someone with complex trauma, especially someone with an SRA or satanic ritual abuse background, And I read that and I thought to myself, I am not sure I've ever heard someone talk about this or preach about this or any of those things. And so as you sent this to me, it definitely got my mind thinking about what does that mean? What does that look like? How would we recognize it and help someone? So I'm really curious to hear more from you on this. Well, hopefully I'll be talking, but not preaching. (laughs) I think it is a topic that if you're working with those that have ritual abuse, or it doesn't have to be that, a lot of times your clients will talk about Jesus and they may even say, you know, I can see him in my mind or I'm hearing him say this or that. And the real issue is how do you know if that's the real Jesus? I know that sometimes people will say, I'm not sure if this is my thoughts or just, or the Holy Spirit, right? So it sounds like this is maybe a third option of a voice that someone might be hearing that um, is a counterfeit Jesus. You have these examples of that even happening in the Bible, um, of someone claiming a name of Jesus, but not being him. Share about that. This isn't stuff in Bible studies. We don't hear about these people. Oh, you don't have this in your Bible study. Remember that guy named Bar Jesus or Son of Jesus? He was a sorcerer. And that means he used magic and the magic arts. And he worked or he was around the governor. And he, the governor almost became a Christian because of Paul's witness. But as Paul was talking to him, this bar Jesus must have kept interrupting and brought up all these, maybe he tried to do some magic. He was trying to make it so that the governor wouldn't be able to pay attention to Paul. So that's one example, I think, even the name, Son of Jesus, that obviously wasn't yet. Paul calls him a child of the devil, which is rather quite far from Son of Jesus. So there's the Bible, this man taking that title. Let's look at today. What places do you see um, maybe a group or a person basically saying, like claiming the name of Jesus, but they are being deceptive, maybe 
I do know like the verse about Satan being disguised as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's more familiar. It kind of feels like it's in that line Mm -hmm. where there's like some light or truth that a group or a person is bringing, but it's false. What does that look like right now? Like that we might see in a client or in a church setting. In terms of, um, of a group, um, I think any theology that has as its center a definition of Jesus, which it needs to have. Uh, there's groups that I th- think you know them that go door to door, and their Jesus isn't the Son of God. So that's a corporate, in a sense, example. Another one is the Masonic, they call it false nice, where, every, you know, they're, they agree with people that talk to them about Jesus. But the Jesus that they serve isn't the true and living God that we would be aware of. In terms of in clients, those of you that have seen this, I'm sure um, it makes sense to you. If you've not seen it, usually there's a little apprehension. But when a person has either volitionally or if somebody did it for them generationally, like in putting curses or sending a specific spirit to your client. Um, Those kind of things basically are demonic forces inside the person. And there's really no need to be afraid of those situations because it says greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And the King of Kings dispatches the spirits that are uh, confusing and trying to counterfeit his name. So both in the corporate and then individually in the counseling office, it's an issue of having Jesus that doesn't match up to the characteristics of Jesus and God. It doesn't measure up as Paul said there's a really important um, section where he says to test the spirits to see if they're from God. And as Lindy and I were talking earlier, we realized I'm not sure most people know how to do that. Um, But what he says is that the real cutting edge that divides the true from the false is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And he says those that say that are from the Holy Spirit, but those that don't say that aren't from God, and they're wicked spirits. And I think that's a really important thing to realize how to do that. How do you test the spirits? Well, I've been in situations a lot where the client has demonic forces within. They may believe that they're Jesus, or they may just say, well, I'm not sure whether it's from God or not. And to test the spirits is to ask the spirit that, for example, is giving advice. We ask the person, don't answer it yourself. Just let the spirit within you answer. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And the wicked spirits, the false spirits, end up saying, no, you didn't come in the flesh. And then at that point, you can enter into the spiritual warfare necessary to get rid of the spirit. 
But I think it's important to test the spirits, even in our own life where we get an idea that sounds kind of way out there, just to say, Lord, would you show me, is this from you or is this from another place? And do you feel like Satan and his demons have the ability to put a thought into a believer's mind? I do. Um, There's enough evidence in scripture warning us about taking thoughts captive and other things. Um, Satan's all around us, uh, just trying to tempt us from the outside. But these folks have opened the door for Satan in such a major way that a spirit has been sent to them and the spirit is within them. I'm going to take this a step further. We've talked about religious groups that end up in this space. We've talked about um, clients. You actually, though, have a story that's more personal of your experience kind of in this realm as a child. Are you up for sharing that? Um, Is that my story by the stove? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I was, I don't know, maybe 11, maybe less. And I got, I followed, I was a follower of Christ. I had accepted Christ even in the middle of all the occultism and darkness when I was about seven. And I got this idea that someone was going to come to rescue me. And what I was supposed to do was to go and kneel down by the stove in the kitchen. And during the night, the Lord was going to send somebody to rescue me. So you can imagine, you know, my hope surged. And it had gotten to the point where I was concerned that I might not be able to survive because of the level of the brutality and the abuse. So I went by the stove, and I can remember leaning against it as it got darker. The stove became cooler and cooler to my face. And so I waited all night, and nobody came. And then in the morning, there was from within the demonic mockery of you thought somebody's going to rescue you. No one can rescue you. We own you. You know, all this kind of blasphemy. So it was pretty impactful in my mind. I can't imagine that breaks my heart to even hear. But um, so Satan was telling you lies um, that sounded good and like the truth. And if someone had the opportunity that did have the Holy Spirit in them to walk into that space at that time with you. If you were there with that 11-year-old, how would you have um, talked to her? What would you have Mm -hmm. said as a spirit-filled believer or kind counselor um, when she was experiencing that? I would probably start by defining the, the potential for being deceived. And speaking of it in terms that, you know, God has an enemy. Satan is his enemy. And he he tries to trick us. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if what you heard was from God or not. Not. Why don't we why don't we do what it says in the Bible and test it? And so I would say to her, um, I'm going to ask a question, but I don't want you to answer it. Just sort of be quiet in your mind. And do you see someone 
the person in your mind, oh yeah, I see a person and he's dressed in white and whatever. Well, let's have it so that that person answers my question and then go into did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Even for a, even for an uh, a 11-year-old who hasn't gone to Dallas Seminary, uh, it still works because it's still the truth. I love that gentle explanation. And you've just basically walked us through what could happen even in a counseling office with a client um, in that realm of testing the spirit. You talk also about the description of Jesus matching the real Jesus. What does a false Jesus versus the real Jesus, like what are some of the um, ways that they don't match up? Well, I think one of the major ways is legalism. Because God's grace and mercy are so, we we have no total idea what that is. But the ideas, like if you're reading your Bible and the thought comes, well, you, you better spend another hour reading. I mean, God will be really pleased if you spend another hour reading. Um, or anything that has a performance smell to it. You know, if you've been in a fire, I was... I rented a wheelchair from a store that it had a fire. And everywhere I went, people were saying quietly, do you smell something? Is there a fire around here? Because the metal of the wheelchair and the rubber wheels had absorbed the flavor of the fire. (laughs) And that's sort of what it's like, that the, the flavor of how Christ responds to you is a real key because Christ is never, um, Christ isn't into legalism. Illegalism is just really abhorrent to God. If you look at the characteristics of his response to the Pharisees, the Pharisees are A-plus legalists, and that's not making God happy. So if that performance aspect is there or um, a sense of unforgiveness, like you can never be forgiven for that. So you need to make up for it by doing all this other stuff. Hmm. You're getting closer to home with those examples. (laughs) I think that a lot of us can relate to that feeling of um, guilt or shame being the driver of our disciplines um, versus just that longing to be close to the Lord and have his presence with us. And so even for our own lives, maybe not the extremes um, on some of these scenarios, but where what do we do to combat that? Just pulling this back, even for a counselor or someone that feels like, well, that's kind of how I was taught, right? Mm-hmm. Was that this is, you do these things to please the Lord and um, you... If you don't, you're not, and it separates you from him. But how can we get back to that place of the real Jesus? Well, I think one of the things that God likes, at least I hope so, because I do it a lot, that's asking him lots of questions. Hmm. So asking him, do I see you clearly? Is there anything that needs to be adjusted in my lens Hmm. of who you are? And it's amazing. I mean, he just says stuff. He, he he puts thoughts in our mind, and depending on your 
um, personality type. There's often you just have such a clear thought of um, hearing what he's saying. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing, whether it's personally or if you're dealing with the demonic in your client, I like to use the name, the true and living God that's used in scripture. Um, so you just with your clients, even setting up um, the concept of maybe they're not seeing God clearly or not seeing the real God um, just saying, well, we want to be sure that we're talking about the true and living God. And just using that phrase is something I've adopted so that I can remember to set it up for the client that is it from the true and living God or not? Let's check. Um, sometimes also, um, this is in extreme cases in a sense, um, where there is a, a spiritual entity inside the person and they believe that it's Jesus. And there's just an obstinacy of being able to move forward because the person believes so dramatically that it's, it is the real Jesus. And that is, I often challenge them, well, why don't we do this? Why don't you and I and this being that's within you, why don't we go into the throne room of the true and living God and worship the King, Jesus Christ, the one and only, you know, and in, in, I've never had it be anything other but an immediate exposure of the enemy because the thought of going into the, holy of holies and, and into the throne room and worship Jesus Christ, it, it just jiggies up in that sense because uh, the demon will often then just come and start blasphemy, you know, using the person's voice or whatever. So that's another thing that I think we can do. What we're talking about is the need for discernment. Yeah. And um, there's well, let me just kind of say an extreme. It's not really an extreme, but I don't think we hear about it much. There is a spiritual gift of discernment that is listed with the other spiritual gifts. There's prophecy, there's teaching. It's, it's listed as a gift. And I've seen it operate in a prayer person who is sitting in with a counselor. Mm -hmm. And it was really amazing because there's just a sensing with the gift of discernment that, wait a minute, that this, I don't think this is God. And I've never seen it in operation anywhere else, like in the church or whatever. I'm not sure what that would look like. But that's just as an aside. It's really a benefit if someone has the gift of discernment. But we're all given discernment. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's kind of like if you're in a situation where the Lord opens the door for you to speak the gospel, you may not be a teacher or an evangelist or have any gift of evangelism, but you enter in and he gives you what you need, even though you don't have that particular gift. 
to, to bring the situation for uh, the gospel being highlighted. And the same is true with discernment. Well, maybe just a couple last things. The Holy Spirit within us helps, clears things up for us when we ask him. You know, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to keep us from deception here. Would you show us what's going on here? So that's another kind of strategy to use to deal, especially with your clients that have the counterfeiter working overtime in their life. I feel like that is so central to all of this. I know we've had another podcast where you talk about what's the most important thing in DID ministry, and there's so much it could be, but your answer to that question is prayer. Um, Prayer for the counselor and the time they're going to have with their client. And then also you're talking so much about just even inviting the Holy Spirit into that space of your session together. And just, I don't know if we really trust enough, honestly, sometimes that he really is faithful. And we pray these desperate prayers in the midst of the middle of something that fear, you know, it feels scary in that moment to have that in front of you. But, um, man, we do have a faithful God. And I also think sometimes we need to take the time to listen to what he says. So we'll throw this prayer out of, Lord, what should I do? Or is this from you? But actually finding that stillness to to even listen for the answer instead of just keep trying and striving um, in those moments. But he, yeah, he is so faithful to meet us in those places when our hearts are asking for him to do that. It's really neat to experience that too. Well, Lindy, thank you for joining us today. Of course. <laughs> and we'll hopefully, uh, hopefully those of you that listen to the podcast will gain some insights that the Lord can use in your ministry and also just personally. So until next time. Thanks for joining us. You can visit our website for resources at www.lydiadm.org.